can do a lot of things once. What about you? You tried a food once and then not again. Anybody ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, I, I ran a marathon once. I, I, I might not do that again. Um, I've eaten black pudding in Scotland. Um, I don't think I'm going to do that again. Uh, one time I was on a missions experience in Hong Kong and I was eating this rice and uh, I thought it was rice and nuts. And I got about halfway through the meal and realized it was looking back at me. It was actually rice and fish eyes. I'm not going to do that again. Um, I've started a lot of books that I never finished. I have watched a lot of movies I never uh, finished watching, mainly because I'm not really a night owl. Um, I can fake it through the day pretty well, even if I feel bad, unless I get a fever. I'm one of those guys, like it's like 0.10 temperature, and then I'm like laid out flat, just take me to the hospital, you know, get the gurney out. Um, I, I think we can pick a day to live and live pretty much what we need to do in that day. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Lindley was like that. Uh, she chose one particular day to be three all day long. And so she's only two. Uh, she even created a song about, she sang about being three. And so she was three all day long. And you know, a three-year-old can do that, right? Can choose this day, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a princess. I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna be that. Um, tomorrow, we can choose to be servants. We can choose to do that for a day. We can put on hold everything else and choose to do that. My question is, what would that look like if it gets carried out beyond tomorrow? And some of you are like, oh, you know, I am, I serve, that's in my heart. And yes, I know, and that's where, that's where so many of us are, and I get that. But what if God wants to use tomorrow as a catalyst to do something inside of you beyond what you ever dreamed? What about you defines you in your good days and your bad days? What defines you on the weekends and the weekdays? When you're with your family and your business associates. When you're on vacation, when you're at Great Wolf Lodge, or when you're in the day-to-day work pace of life. I think that if we take a look into Matthew chapter 20, we're going to find out what really defined Jesus as he lived on this earth. And I think maybe it might help us gain a little bit of focus and perspective And it's probably not going to be anything new or revolutionary to most of us in the room. But I do hope that what it does is it challenges our thinking to, am I a servant in a moment or am I a servant with my life? Am I a servant for this experience? Do I put on my servant hat or is that just who I am? Matthew 20, verse 20 through 34 goes like this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him. Promise that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. We could pause right there and just say, you got to give it to this mom, right? I mean, she has, she is bold. She's, she's, she's basically asking for the vice president And, you know, the, uh, uh, let's just say the speaker of the house of the world, right? I mean, she's saying the the right-hand side, that's second in command, left-hand side, third in command. This is what I want for my sons. Verse 22, but Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink that cup that I am about to drink? Yeah, we can do that, Jesus. Absolutely. Those sons chime in and Jesus' eyes are directed at them most obviously because they're the ones who are now responding to him, you see. 
I think Jesus turned to these boys, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of this bold mother, because he knew what they were really asking. He also knew that they were the ones that probably set mom up for this, right? And he also knew that it was painfully aware, he was painfully aware that they were just missing it. That all of those years, that several years that he had spent with them, still he was missing it. They were missing it. Verse 23, he told them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my father. He mentions the cup. It's a common Old Testament metaphor for suffering. And both James and John were going to endure that. James uh, would become a martyr at the hands of Herod Agrippa. And John, of course, would end up being exiled. But in this moment, Jesus reveals that although one might think he has the power to assign such positions, the reality is he's actually relinquished that power to God the Father. Verse 24, when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Why were they mad? You know, some scholars say, well, they're mad because they didn't think of it first. I mean, they they got to him first, right? How dare them beat us to this? Why didn't we think of asking for the second and third in command? Verse 25, but Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them and the men of high position exercise power over them. He's, he's defining something they're already acutely aware of. He's, he's, he's stating what their culture is experiencing in that moment. What the world has really lived with as far as leadership. They were living in a world where leaders rule with domination and authoritarianism. And the Romans had come in and basically created that style of leadership among the Jews. And even after all the conversations with Jesus, they still believed that that was the type of kingdom that he was going to be ushering into existence. And so he calls them out on it. And then he says in verse 26, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In this statement, Jesus makes a huge revelation. It is, it is enormous, right? Because what Jesus says in this moment, he says, listen, I have come to make sure that everyone likes me. I've come to impress. I've come to go along with the status quo, to instigate riots, to set the standard for social justice. That's why I've come. No, he didn't say any of that, did he? That's not why he came. That's not what he defined himself as. As a matter of fact, he said, I have come to serve. That's what's to define me. That's where you're missing it, guys. The word ransom in verse 28 here in the Greek is the price paid to bring about a slave's freedom. Jesus is stating, listen, he's saying, I am going to pay with my very own life the amount of money owed to gain freedom for your lives that are enslaved to sin. And in verse 26, let's not overlook these other words that he uses here because he uses the words whoever and among you and he's speaking specifically to them and in a larger context to his followers. He's saying, listen, that is what the kingdom is to be for you. That greatness is accomplished through servanthood, through selflessness, 
The Maranatha singers a long time ago used to sing a song. And it became popular then in children's ministry. And I remember, I remember children's ministry singing it for years. And it was like, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Why did they sing that song? It came straight out of scripture. It comes straight out of this moment, out of Jesus' heart, whenever he's saying, listen, don't miss the point. Serving others is what greatness is in the kingdom. That's what it is. And I think sometimes what we do is we kind of, we kind of mess that around in our minds and we, and, we, and we miss the point. It's not that it's a stepping stone to greatness. It's not a portal through which then we become great. He wasn't saying to them, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to serve for a while. And you know, after a while of serving, guess what? Then you can be on my... He didn't come back and offer spot number two and spot number three to them. That's not what he said. He's redefining greatness here, and he does it with his own life. He's not giving them a backdoor code to the left chair and the right chair. He's saying, listen, it isn't how much you attain or how many people you control or how many people follow you on Twitter or how big your company grows. Greatness equals selflessness. Greatness equals serving others. If you want to be great in my eyes, then you serve. Let's finish the part of the narrative here. Verse 29, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And there were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd told them to keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said to him, open our eyes and move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. The crowd thought Jesus was crazy in this moment. We covered this back whenever we were walking through the Gospel of Mark, if you recall that. When Jesus stopped in this moment, it's like, why would you squelch the momentum? The parade is on. We are going to crown you the one who is bringing about what we need as a people. The one who has come to our rescue. There's not any time for you to deal with this handicapped person over here on the side of the road. Mark 10 actually lists the name of one of the beggars here. His name is Bartimaeus. You know what Bartimaeus means? Bartimaeus, the description for Bartimaeus is son of excrement. If you could just put that in your brain, that that's the name that his parents gave him. That in his blindness, they chose to give him a name that I don't think is going to rise to the top of the charts for us. I don't think it's going to take over Noah's position as number one in the boy names right now, right? He says, in Mark, it says, here's Bartimaeus. And in this moment, this blind man, seen as unclean, is touched by this holy man who, as a holy man, would see this moment as creating himself unclean because he touched this man. And yet he does. And in verse 34, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Greek word, splanchnes, ah, this is a big one, splanch 
nizomai. There we go. And I love that Greek word because here's what that word is. It's the word in the Greek that has to do with a heart compelled to action. So it's not just, I feel sorry for. It's not just, oh, look at those poor people. Oh, I just can't believe how much they're hurting. It's not just having sympathy for. It's not even having empathy for because I've been in their place. This word that's used here in the Greek that I'm not going to try to pronounce again is a word that says you have been moved to the point of action. That's what's going to happen tomorrow. That inside of these moments that we have, As we serve, we become over and over again moved with compassion, action. He touches his eyes. He's not worried about how the world viewed it because you know what the world saw it as? The world saw it as contamination. He wasn't worried about how the church viewed it, unclean. He wasn't worried about how the other disciples or the parade attendees saw it, right? Because they just saw it as an inconvenience. Let's get, this party, let's get this party started. He was living out the definition of greatness that he'd given to his disciples just a few moments before. Laying down his life. And in case Jesus' words and actions aren't compelling enough for us, throughout scripture, a case can be made for living this daily life of servanthood. Is it a challenge? You bet. Is it a challenge for pastors? Yes. Is it a challenge for anybody who walks and lives and breathes? Yes. Because what we want to do is make sure that everything is taken care of for me. And maybe that's why Jesus again and again describes this life as laying down your life. Picking up your cross. Following me. The case for a daily life of servanthood. A couple of verses We're pushing toward the end here. It's how we're designed, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. We were created with works in mind, God had in mind for you to accomplish for his glory. Mark 8.35. I love this. I I put this in. This is the only verse that I put in, I believe, tonight that's not in uh, HCSB. This is actually in the Living Bible. And uh, here's, here, here's, what, here's what Mark 8, 35 says here in the Living Bible. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will know what it means to really live. It takes us back to that Disney quote, isn't it? It's so unnerving to be a servant who isn't serving. Why does serving feel so right? Why is it that we can go and experience a day serving Hack, doing that experience, going down to Cornerstone, going, going, going to Denton, going to CCA. And you know, you just have that feeling like, this is good. And you go on a mission trip and you, you spend all this money and it's like, we could have done this with our vacation and we could have gone on this cruise, we could have done this. But we pulled our money together and we're putting on this Bible club for a school in the southern part of Belize where these kids have absolutely nothing. And that's what we chose to spend our money on. And you know, you, you pull all this to, these experiences together, you know, what do they have in common? Now we walk away from it and go, wow, this is why God created me. There's something that I feel on the inside. There's literal feeling coming out of me that says, I was designed to do this. This is what I was created for. Some of you are thinking, you know what? I I do that every day. I am a parent. I feel like all I am is a servant of my children. 
I mean, that's just, you're talking to the choir, Randy. I serve, 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 serve all day long, right? From the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, it's like I am, I am the indentured servant in my house. Maybe what we all need to do is just take a step back and go, okay, then let's look at Jesus' example. Because what was he doing in this moment? It was a teachable moment. He realized who was around him. He realized these disciples, who he was mentoring in the same way that we mentor our kids. And he's looking at them and saying, you know what? How do I move them into this life? Well, it's, it's a principle of leadership that we've all heard before, right? It's the, I do it. Here I am, I'm doing this. And Jesus was doing this. He was serving, but now I'm gonna do this and they're gonna be with me. So now I'm, I'm doing this, but you know what? My kids, those I mentor, those I'm, and that's what tomorrow is going to look like for a lot of us. We're doing that, but you know, our kids, and even in, in some instances, even like with the carnival and some of the other, some of the other ones, it, it goes to the, to the third level. Uh, kids are actually doing it, or the ones we're mentoring are doing it, and the leader is there, but not really as fully engaged as the ones who are the mentorees, you see? And then finally, what is the setup? The setup is that at some point in, in, in the, in, in the progression, Jesus now steps aside. Now, this isn't a perfect illustration because obviously he steps aside, but the Holy Spirit steps in. But physically, he steps aside and the disciples are there and he's, they're doing it. And Jesus is now not in the picture physically. I do it. Now, I do it and they're with me. Now, they're doing it. I'm with them. Now, they're doing it. And maybe that example that's in Jesus' life is how we need to think about those that we mentor and lead. How does that look for us tomorrow and the day after? How do we become the ones who empower those around us to live lives of service? Because we really are designed that way. Because every one of us who's moved into a saving relationship with Jesus should be that way. And why? Well, for one, because we're just reacting to his grace. I love this verse, 1 John 3. We, we would always use this verse all the time on mission trips. We still do. I love using this verse because what I, what I want to do is remind people, listen, here's, here's where our heart is. Our heart is where it is because of what God has done for us. 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with words or speech, but with that truth and action. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. It's saying, God initiated this, not me. I experienced his love, and now I can give it. He sacrificed my behalf. I think we should also be lives that are receiving his blessing that's how we're designed to actually receive his blessing. You know, sometimes we don't talk a whole lot about that because like, oh no, should we really be blessed? I mean, all of a sudden you go down this rabbit trail of, oh, the blessings of God and now you're supposed to be rich and now you're supposed to have all this and now you're supposed to be healthy and wealthy and wise and all that, you know, and hold on a minute. John 12, 26 says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Hmm. I like that. Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Wow. 
Colossians 3.24, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. Rewards, honor, putting in charge of many. I, I don't know what all of that exactly means, but I know this. I know that if I picked up my phone and right now there was a call from Bill Gates and he was calling me to say he wanted to reward me greatly, I'm thinking it probably doesn't mean a $15 gift card to Walmart. I'm thinking something big. Thinking if he's calling me personally to say, I want to reward you greatly, I'm thinking that's something big. And so if the God of the universe is saying to us, I want to reward you, I want to give you, I want to bless you, how much more? And, and maybe we experience some of that on this earth. Maybe we experience it in heaven. But I know this. I want to be sitting in that place where God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I think that puts us also at rest in his presence. Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically. That's something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance for the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. A life at rest in his perspective. When it's hard, when it's confusing, when it's emotionally draining, when I don't feel like it. And recently, uh, in the last week or so, those words actually came out of my mouth. I remember when they did, and I couldn't believe they did, but they did. Because you can think them, but whenever you really just say them. But, I, you know, I was like, I don't feel like doing this. And, you know, it, I, started, I started sensing that was, that was just not right. And why was it not right? And what God hit me with is my focus was in the wrong place. It was in the per, per, perspective was on me. I didn't feel like doing that. See, it, it, it I, I had shined the light on me. And so now it was, it was not about him. It wasn't about me serving him. It was about what it was that I wasn't getting. The time that I wanted. The whatever. Serving others. When do we see you naked and poor and in prison? You've done it to the least of these when you've done it unto me. God's saying, you know, be, be at rest when you can't see the whole picture, when you don't feel like it. Be at rest because you were designed to do this. One translation of 1 John three nineteen ends the verse this way. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That's beautiful. That's, that's what we were designed to be, at rest in his presence. It's not just that we were designed, we're almost done. It's not that we're just designed to serve. It's also that it connects people to him. That when we live lives of service, it connects people to him. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. One thought I had about this particular verse here. It, it's not that here's, here's a light, here's Randy the light, and here's God the light. And you know, my light is now going to shine over here so that people can now see God's light. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in this moment, 
when I am shining light to the world, I'm doing that as a reflection of his light. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. People see Jesus. And so when we put a carnival on in South Dallas, or we go to Cornerstone Monthly to work in a clothes closet, or you volunteer at CCA, or you become a weekly dominoes player at the nursing home nearest your house, or you volunteer to tutor a kid over the summer to help them get over a particular subject, or you spend your vacation money on a missions experience, or you commit to sponsoring a child in Belize or a Compassion International child, or you choose to send your family and you go over to Waco and experience the Poverty simulation so you can gain a perspective of how people in our world live and you go and do those things. It's not just so that we can go and add all of these things onto our list and God says, oh, that's so good. You got all these check marks. No, we do those things so that our light shines. And the light that is shining is his. The light of Jesus invades the dark places of the world when that happens. The way to a daily life of servanthood. How do we get there? To daily listen to why God says we are here and why the world says we are here. And to know the difference. We've got the world in our ear all the time telling us why we're here. To do this, to do this, to accomplish this, to do that. And yet what we've got to do, what, what Randy has to do is wake up in the morning and say, and this isn't like, okay, I've done this for the week and now I'm good, right? This isn't like, I do this for the month and now I'm good. Oh, I did this January 1st. I made, I made a commitment and now I'm good. No, right? Daily, I've got to wake up and I've got to say, okay, God, I've got to be on your agenda today. Because if not, I'm going to get so off. And so I want to see with your eyes and I want to hear with your ears and I want to make sure that my schedule is moldable in a way that I really can Take moments to make sure that your light shines. I want to daily listen and say, God, I'm here. My life is yours. I don't want to be tempted with my agenda. I want to be on yours. I think number two, it has to do with being fueled by what God has done and not by what we are doing. We can get all jazzed up with all the accomplishments that we have. But the fuel can't be that. Right? Because we've missed the point. We've made it about us. What we've got to do is be fueled by what he has done. It comes back to that grateful heart. It comes back to saying, 2 Corinthians 9, 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. He's saying, you doing all of this has produced great thanksgiving. Instead of Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So that word reward again. And I think this keeps me grounded. It keeps me grounded so that I don't have the tendency to do a selfless act and then all of a sudden want to post it all over the world. <laughs> Isn't it wrong? I mean, Facebook. Instagram, whatever. I mean, we'll see some spots where that pops up and the church is serving and the people in our world need to see the church serving. That's not the point. That's good. I just think we need to go back and check our heart and make sure that what I'm doing in the conversations that I have, the things that I post, the ways that I respond following an act of service is not to say, here's what I did. Look what happened here. But instead, look who God is. Look what God is up to in our world. You know, it's not even about a particular church, right? 
It's not, oh, look what rock. No, no, it's about, look what Jesus thinks about this world. He loves you. And in this moment, in this incarnational moment, his church is here meeting needs. Just as if he was here physically with his hands touching you. Tomorrow, he will be doing that. That's what our world needs to sense and to know. A life of gratitude fueled by that um, makes me think of this song. Uh, you think I'm funny, but uh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, Sinead O'Connor um, wrote this song a while back. And um, then uh, David Crowder kind of redeemed it, I guess, in a way. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it started out, uh, it, it's so simple, but it was just like, thank you for loving me. 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 Hearing. Ready? Sing it with me. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for hearing me. Don't be bashful. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for hearing me. Saving. Thank you for saving me. 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 Healing. Thank you for healing me. 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 And I just wonder if that song, just if it resonates in our hearts throughout the day, if it doesn't set us up for a life of service. Because we become so very grateful for what he's done. And then, Last point, we follow his lead and not our flesh. If you look at the end of the story, what did Jesus do? It was as they were leaving Jericho. As they were leaving Jericho. It was just in the daily walk of life. Yes, it was a parade (laughs) of sorts. Yes, it was a march to crucifixion. But you know what? It wasn't, here I am in Capernaum and ministry time and da-da-da-da. No, you know what? He had been hanging out with the disciples and as they were walking, there was a need. In that moment, his flesh may have very much wanted to just keep on going. But he was on a different agenda. Will you bow your heads for a moment? The opportunity that we have is to choose to leave room for God. In the schedule of next week, in a daily kind of way, to say, you know what, God, my eyes are open to opportunities. I'm going to follow your lead and I, I want you to shine through my life. God paints servanthood with a variety of different words. Throughout scripture, he defines it as a unselfish pursuit 
for those that are humble and giving and forgiving and forgetting, for those that are obedient and poor in spirit, compassionate and gentle. It's a pursuit for those who are pursuing righteousness and mercy, for those who are pure in heart and who seek peace and are joyful in persecution. And you may say, if that's really what a life of a servant looks like, that just seems impossible. And I would say to you, you're right. It's a supernatural life brought to us by a transcendent God who draws outside the lines even with our lives so the world can take notice of him. And so God, in this moment, we're listening to you. And most of us already have our marching orders for tomorrow. What I'm guessing a lot of us are listening to you about right now, God, is what's going to happen after tomorrow. What's going to happen after lunch tomorrow? What you've called us to, how you've called us to live, who you've called us to be. And God, thank you for Matthew 20 and for just reminding us through the life of your son, Jesus what truly is to define us and that it's not a day but it's a life so God in this moment as we remember and the song in our heart keeps resonating thank you for loving us and healing us and saving us and hearing us God we come to you in this moment remembering all you've done And through communion, we take that. And through giving, we are reminded that it's all yours anyway. And through our worship back to you, God, may it just be a sweet sacrifice of praise.